Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week, we're going to be covering the fast-track case before the Supreme Court about whether or not Donald Trump can even be allowed on the ballot. Ah, uh, Yeah. <laughs> small things. Small, uh, small insurrection items for the agenda today. But before we get to that heavy stuff, Sarah, what you eating and what's eating you? Well, speaking of heavy stuff, I just decided to just like wake up and bomb my arteries this morning. I mean, there are worse ways to go about it. And, you know, I didn't do it with like a side of donuts, but I did for breakfast slash lunch have two slices of bacon, a salmon patty and two fried eggs. So just really going for it in the cholesterol department today. Um and then uh, what's eating me is that apparently Chrome has had a, it was called Beautiful Audio Editor, and I was going to give it a shot. I was going to try it and see if I could maybe unburden you from some of this. And then I get to the Chrome store, my heart full of glee and excitement, and it says, been removed. And overwhelmingly on Reddit, this was by far the most favorite Chrome plugin audio editor. And it was just like, oh, hey, hey, real quick, hey, real quick, hey, real quick, fuck you. <laughs> well, uh, well, first, I appreciate that you are plumbing the limits of your mortality. <laughs> uh, and second, I've also found that many of my favorite apps or programs get removed, and it is a pain in the ass. Fuck you, Google. Like, we should have known the minute that they took uh, Don't Be Evil out of their company ethos. Like, we were all in for some some rough times on the Google front. <laughs> they shouldn't have taken away the whole thing. They just could have gotten rid of the first word. <laughs> just you know, be evil. <laughs> yeah. Don't we just save some money on signage, right? <laughs> And give me a chainsaw in a couple minutes. And... Fuck, especially given, you know, the, the Teal-esque um, ethos of move fast and break stuff, which, like, the thing it ended up breaking, once again, is democracy and everybody's brain on Earth. So, pretty cool. I also don't feel like they're moving necessarily that fast. I feel like they're just <laughs> breaking stuff. <laughs> I talk about this all the time. With my love about how the internet is so much worse somehow than the internet that we grew up with. Like there is this really beautiful glimmering sort of window between like the invention of pop-ups and then we got pop-up blockers. And for a while the internet was awesome while pop-up blockers worked. And then they said, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're just going to put that right in the homepage so you can avoid it. <laughs> I, I think at the at this point, like... You know, we were promised jetpacks, flying cars, <laughs> teleportation, like colonizing other planets, but instead <laughs> Can I just have an internet where my ad blocker works again? Like I would I would be fine with that at this point. I'm no, I'm I'm pretty comfortable being earthbound personally. So um I would just I would just prefer a more streamlined browsing experience. Thank you so much. I didn't love the Ready Player One movie adaptation, but the one <laughs> one moment in that that really resonated with me was when the evil corporation was talking about if they got access and could take over this the game world. They're like, research has found that we can <laughs> fill up to 87% of the player uh, uh, visual screen with ads without inducing seizures. <laughs> Uh, 
If you don't think that that math has been done a hundred thousand times at this point, right? Like, and honestly, congrats to all the Twitch streamers and Twitch itself as a company who found a way to create like one of the most powerful uh, revenue generating, entirely user generated content platforms. Mwah! Incredible. Incredible. Which is, which is now owned by Amazon. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Everything's great. Everything's going great, Matt. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part <laughs> of that is now there are ads that if the streamer does not hit the play ad button <laughs> enough, it will just randomly play ads for them. It's like, it's like a jigsaw. It's yeah. like, by that I mean jigsaw the murderer. Like, this is the <laughs> jigsaw. The saw killer uh, kind of prank. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. You did not press the button enough. Do you want to play a game? Yeah. It's like the reverse Skinner box. <laughs> Instead of pressing the button to be happy, <laughs> we're forced to press the button to make people sad. But if we don't, make, if we don't press the sad button, a bigger, <laughs> larger sad button gets pressed. <laughs> Oh, that's skipped over entirely your intro, Matt. What are you eating and what is eating you? Uh, so apparently what's eating me is obviously the decline of all civilization <laughs> and our pending doom. Uh, trying to uh, maintain in my mind at the same time the desire to like have a family and a future. And also the fact that like we were supposed to have the only snowfall in New York City in like two years. And it lasted maybe half an hour before it was too warm and turned to rain ah yes another day that ends in y another in other words yeah and then it's just like <laughs> oh like in the winter time like you know my, my uh, some of my uh, friends are doing running and they're just like oh man we were worried about not getting in enough days in the 50s during the winter to do <laughs> distance running and it's like well tuesday and wednesday and saturday oh like God. And all the other days are in the 40s, and it's just like, <sighs> yep, end of the world vibes here. Um, here we, and here we go. Yeah, and here we go. So speaking of the end of the world, uh, <laughs> so the 2024 <laughs> presidential election um, is upon us. We had hoped that we would only have to deal with Trump twice, but mm, guess mm. what? Everything comes in threes. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, it's the rule of three, right? <laughs> But uh, both uh, there have been a couple states. Uh, Colorado is, specifically is the one that we're talking about here that have uh, ruled through various methods in Colorado. It was their state Supreme Court that uh, President Trump was barred from be from running for president and therefore being on the ballot uh, because he violated the insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. um, so, Sarah. I, I, I'm going to ask you to take a brave stance. Um, do you disagree or agree with the decision by the uh, writers of the 14th Amendment that people who have, you know, done an insurrection against the United States should be allowed to be federal officials? Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and agree that they should not be allowed to be federal officials. Um, and the other thing is, like, this is what is truly awe-inspiring about the Trump administration in its entirety, which is like so many times their actual goddamn excuses. Well, we didn't mean to, right? Like, like, which like, yes, 
this is like the headline of just like incompetent fascism, which is like, oh, ooples, we, oopsie doopsie. It looks like we did a little insurrection. We didn't even mean to do that. So you guys can't even be mad because we didn't even yeah. mean to. Yeah, it's like no harm, no foul. Like government's still there. What you mad about, bro? You guys are just like, this is the. This is always what I feel like as the Trump administration is like, you guys are being like really dramatic about something that's like not even that big of a deal. Wow. Like everybody needs to like chill out and relax and just like be cool. This is not that big of a deal. So we're recording this on January 8th of 2024 and the Supreme Court has granted cert and we'll hear oral arguments exactly one month from today on February 8th. So this is an exceptionally fast schedule. And one of the reasons for this is that, you know, uh, the Colorado primaries are March 5th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So getting this resolved, knowing about whether or not Trump can, you know, be on the ballot in the state at hand is a matter of sort of urgent and pressing uh, interest. You know, time matters here. Can I also... Um mentioned that like my first thought about this is that this is happening so fast which means like the indication to me if i were a body language expert for example and this was them you know turning toward or against their partner um i would say like there wouldn't be much of a hurry if they felt like they were also they were already pretty certain that they were gonna say no but this makes me think that like they're probably gonna say yes like he should be on the ballot I also, I mean, we're going to get into this in a minute, but like, if you want a TLDR uh, of this episode, despite all of the intricate legal analysis and argumentation we're going to hear and everyone's going to do, I think at the end of the day, the conservatives would not have granted cert if they were going to deny Trump ballot access. There you go. Yeah. Uh, And the reason for that is just personal cowardice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Like... It's not funny because this is our fucking government. Like, this is our real goddamn government. And, like, okay, I was trying to explain to somebody what fascism, like, actually is and looks like. Like, like someone who, in a genuine state of, like, curiosity, is just like, you know, I hear the term fascism thrown around all the time. And I just, like, what does that actually mean? Like, what parts of the Trump administration would you say are, like, fascist? And I said, <clears throat> you know... Fascism is like a huge, huge tidal wave, right? And it's like you can run when you see the tidal wave far off in the distance. But if you got to the shore in the first place on another larger tidal wave, you're going to say, like, I'm actually team wave right now. Like, even though this is massively destructive, it is the subversion of the individual's, like, uh... You know, it's just like kind of non-thinking allegiance to like this kind of like, you know, in this case, it's Trump. I mean, when we talk about like fascistic leaders like uh, and like um, dictators, like it is a person for whom the like the people involved can say this. ooh, this feels bad. I'm going to go ahead and do it, though, because Mm -hmm. the other option is maybe this person like murders me in the street, you know? So my favorite definition of fascism comes from Jason Stanley, uh, his book, How Fascism Works. I had to look up this exact quote. Um, And uh, Stanley defines fascism as, quote, a cult of the leader 
mm-hmm. who promises a national restoration in the face of humiliation oh. brought on by supposed communists, Marxists, oh. and minorities, oh. and immigrants <laughs> who are supposedly posing a threat to the character and history of a nation. There you go. And that the leader proposes that only he can solve it and all of his political opponents are enemies or traitors. There we go. Yes. This is why, like, okay, also, I don't know if you've, like, you know, I love the podcast um, QAnon Anonymous, which, like, has become this beautiful, like, multifaceted bouquet of, like, unpacking right-wing extremism and, like, extremist beliefs and, like, cult beliefs. And anyway, um, oh, shoot, I just completely lost my train of thought. But uh, the long and the short of it is they were talking about, like, some of the, like, bottomless kind of stupidity of fascism. And uh, Liv Liv Agar, which is one of the um, hosts, is like, yeah, but, like, that's the whole thing about fascism is, like, it is inherently ridiculous in some ways, right? Like, and as you sit in front of this person, because there has never been a person in anyone's life over the age of, like, five who has actually been able to, like, unilaterally solve people's problems, right? Like, you know this is impossible, and you're sitting there listening to this incredibly simplistic, simple-minded promise, and you're like, yeah, sounds good to me. (laughs) And it... it um, so what what I lo- what I love about that too is that it this is where it dovetails fascism often dovetails nicely with populism. Yeah, uh, where the populist leader rises to power and says, you know, uh, all of the problems we face they're not complicated; they're actually simple. And the only reason we haven't implemented the simple solutions is because of these supposed traitors in our midst. There you go. Right, whether they're the elites or Jews or communists yes. or gays or whoever yes. it might be. And then when the populace comes to power, they are constrained by the same forces at solving the problems as everyone else. And they don't solve them. So at this <laughs> point, they have a choice. They can either be like, oopsie, I was wrong. Like, actually, <laughs> these things are really hard. Or they can be like, no, we are still being undermined by the traitors among us. Yep. And we need to root them out. Which is how most populists eventually then become fascists. That's correct. Right? Yeah. Um, because then the idea they say like, oh, and they and this is where the fascist leader, like Trump, like this is why "Make America Great Again" is a fascist slogan, right? Because it's this restoration of national greatness. Exactly. Um, why aren't we great? Because you know the liberals, the gays, the Jews, the whoever, socialists. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, are, are, are took us down, but we <clears> need <throat> to be great again. We need to go back to this imaginary past. Yep. Um, and of course, it never works. Yeah, ever. One of the funnier quotes recently. Remember uh, Reagan's um, "Are you better off now than you were four years ago?" <sighs> Trump has the less catchy "Are you better off now than you were five years ago?" Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> four years ago was twenty twenty. <laughs> well and the thing is like this is you know i was telling my partner's parents who are uh former liberal politicians in their in their town he was the mayor um and i said you know this is my all-time favorite republican uh strategy game which is we didn't fund these services because we do not inherently believe that uh the government itself should exist, let alone provide services for anybody. Yeah, dot, dot, dot. 
wow, these services are terrible. You should elect us to make them better. People who fundamentally don't believe they should exist. Like, holy as, fuck. As John Stewart said, the conservatives get the fun of breaking things and the joy of complaining they're broken. <laughs> Once <Yeah>. again. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, like, this leads us to where we are now, right? Because the, the plain text of so the 14th Amendment in the Insurrection Clause plainly states that anyone who has taken an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, end quote. So note here, they never mention the president explicitly, but they do mention an officer of the United States. So one of the first big questions arising in this case is whether or not the president is considered an officer under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, under the Insurrection Clause. So while I ask you this question, I want you to keep in mind, Sarah, that the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments rose out of the Civil War and the end of slavery. <laughs> so when the founders were drafting the 14th Amendment, or the, the sorry, not the founders, but when the drafters of the 14th Amendment were writing it, were they thinking... Obviously, we don't want an insurrectionist to be president covered <laughs> under this officer thing. Or, you know what? We're going to ban the, the Confederates from holding every office except, except president. It's fine if they're president. <laughs> this is, I mean, you and I know the answer. Anybody with a working brain who's not in uh, cuckoo, cuckoo land, cuckoo magoo land knows that this, of course, includes the president. But what I am personally excited about is listening for, to the argument that the president is not included under the 14th Amendment. <laughs> so what we just did there, that's originalism, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. It is. What was the original meaning at the time? And you, you think about it. You look at the historical context. And you're just like, yeah, they definitely would have included the president. They would have been like, you know, those Confederates, you know, they can't be in Congress. You know, oh. they can't be a governor, but they can definitely be president. That seems fine. Incredible. Well, let's 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 run up. Let's run up some potential arguments. Like the only one that sticks out to me immediately is like, oh, well, you know, the president is, his power is contained by uh, the powers of Congress and, you know, like all these, like, you know, this person is not directly an officer because they must, you know, they do not actually have that much. I don't, I don't know. What if you could, if you could guess what, what the fuck are they going to try to say? Um, so there's been an interesting argument about this, oh, boy. right? Um, so... <laughs> It's kind of technical. Oh, boy. Um, so the first element that uh, Josh Blackman and Seth Barrett Tillman wrote in a NYU Journal of Law and Liberty. Yeah, note the buzzwords here. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's not a great argument, but here's one that might be trotted oh, out because it's one of the only actual law journal articles written about this because everyone just assumed it was obvious. Before. Everyone's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah. Um, they argue that essentially that one, that the president is not an officer 
of the United States and doesn't fall within Section 3. And, like, the major issue that they bring up here is, like, swearing oaths for kind of a weird reason. Okay. This sounds like this sounds like some pre-sovereign citizen bullshit, but go on. Yeah, so the idea is is like you have to first think about what an officer is, okay. right? Um So in your mind, what would you think just in a plain meaning of it, right? What is an officer? I mean, you want to talk about a word with some many uh, objective and subjective meanings, but like, you know, your first thing, your first idea that comes to mind is like the military because like militaries have, um, which like, once again, I'm excited to hear this argument because one of the president's titles is in fact commander in chief. Yeah. So <laughs> this is yeah. what the law journal article says. <laughs> oh is no. That the jur- quote, the jurisdictional element applies to a person who took an oath as a quote officer of the United States. And now I'm paraphrasing, but the disqualification element says that disqualification extends to any office under the United States. Oh, for fuck's sake. So they're claiming that these phrases are meaningfully different. Uh, I mean, again, Republican brainworms. Like, these are the kind of, I would be, I just imagine that the everyday mental gymnastics of getting through the world as a Republican must be exhausting. Yes. So they're talking about different categories of offices and officers, even though an officer is one who holds an office. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm just going to say here that they're really fucking grasping. Uh, yeah. Shocker yeah. of the century. Uh, they need to divorce themselves from reality to continue staying divorced from reality. Yeah. So I just want to be really, really <clears throat> clear here that this is the co- – I'm not going to go more in depth because um, it's not kind of worth it because I think it's, it's kind of facially self-evident. ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the kind of pseudo-legal uh, justification that we're probably going to see. They're probably going to reference things like intra-sentence uh, uniformity or non-uniformity. What is that? Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's that if you're referring to the same thing within a sentence, you tend to reference it using the same exact words or phrasing. Oh my fucking God. But I want to note here that often for stylistic reasons, we do not repeat the same exact phrase to refer to the same thing because that makes sentences and languages quite, uh, language quite boring and uninteresting. And if you're trying to argue that officer and office, even though officer is being used as one who holds the office, um, and also contextually, you can see just based on sentence construction that they are actually referring to the same thing. But if that's the sort of, if you're claiming that is an example of intra-sentence non-uniformity, you are not just grasping for straws, you are literally trying to reach into an entire different solar system. I'm, this is, I don't, I, 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 like, this reminds me of arguing with my sister when I'm five. Do you know what I mean? Like, this reminds me of just, like, uh, like me and my sister saying, like, I didn't say you were stupid. I said you were acting stupid, which is a temporary version. I'm not telling you that you are stupid. Just, like, kill me. Kill me with this fucking gaslighting stupidity. Yeah, I just want to be super clear here that, like, I do not think that this is an open question. Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. 
yeah, I'm just going to be like, note that they're not referencing the history. They're not doing, even though they are quote unquote conservatives, <laughs> right? They're not doing an originalism. <laughs> Sorry. Right? An originalist wouldn't be doing this kind of like insane parsing of, of language. They just say like, what did officer officer mean to them at the time? I... What was the context that they were writing in and who would they would have been referring to? And then it's, we can extrapolate from there. It's the Cochrane Kardashian-ness of it all. You know, like it like this feels like carnival level stupid attempts at a trick. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna try to pull the rabbit out of the hat, but I saw it moving around in there and then it jumped out and you ran and grabbed it and put it out of the hat. And now you want me to be like, ooh. <laughs> Well, it would be like if Johnny Cochran said, the glove does not fit, but the glove literally fit perfectly, except there was one <laughs> slight crease. Like By the way, when he flexed his hand, there was a little crease. He's like, see that crease? It shows that it stresses a little bit. It might be slightly too small. It does not fit. Um, for all you um, would-be or aspiring um, like shithead um, blood money defense attorneys out there, uh, this is just a fun true crime fact about that, which is uh, Cochran told OJ to stop taking his arthritis medication um, prior to the trial. And if you know what arthritis medication does, it's an anti-inflammatory and it uh, lowers the inflammation in your joints and it makes your hands shrink. So when you don't take it, it your hands swell up and they're a lot bigger. So um, you know, hey, listen, did Cochran die early and Kardashian die young because the um, the all the devils of hell uh, clambered up the bowels to grab them? Yeah, <laughs> but like hell of a defense for for a guy who killed his wife and then just an innocent bystander so hard that he almost cut both of their heads off. Anyway. Yeah. Um, OK. So let's move on to. Some more reasonable. Uh, let, let's dispose of the more ridiculous arguments right away. Okay, great. Okay. The next major argument is: Does Congress have to pass legislation before the states can ban someone from the ballot under the Fourteenth Amendment? So the argument here is that there's essentially no enforcement mechanism, and states are overstepping their authority and unilaterally <laughs> banning him, uh, uh, Trump, from uh, the ballot. <laughs> So did you hear any language in the 14th Amendment that required Congress to pass a law? No, <clears throat> no, I sure didn't. And once again, this is one of my favorite Republican, um, like nonsensical sleights of hand, which is like federalism, bad states rights. Good. Wait, 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 wait. Not that state's particular yes. right. Because <laughs> they did a bunch of shit we didn't want them to do. So... <laughs> Let's do I love that because you got right to the heart of the matter. That like conservatives <laughs> love to scream about states' rights. And Tenth Amendment, you know, officially delegates some powers to the state, some powers to the federal government, right? Yep. We have this division. And when it's not clear, one major thing that conservatives on the courts do is they look at historically and traditionally, <laughs> have things been delegated to the states or the federal government? So, Sarah, in your personal experience voting, are elections governed by the federal government or by the state? <clears throat> by the states, because we have decided that we have the uh, electoral college. And once no. again, I'm sorry, this is I know it's not actually funny, but like 
the same people, like, for reasons that were accurately pointed out by, I mean, every election since 2000, right? Which is like, under the electoral college system, an un, a, a person who loses the popular vote can win the national election, right? Like, we have been talking about this for a really long time. And uh, Republicans, the whole time that they were winning using the electoral college system, were like, oh, but no, this is tradition and this is what's in the Constitution. And and here we here we go again, which is like, oh, we really like this until it stopped working for us. <laughs> like, I love it because that's so true. Like, there is a long history in the United States and tradition that the states do this shit. And like yeah. back in the day, like even if you look at the way that votes get uh, counted, like they, like the reason why we don't know they don't officially like certify the election right away is because back in the day they actually had to bring all the votes and count all the votes and like all the electors had to travel in horse and buggy. Like shit was happening real fucking slow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, like, you see why that is, why they might have done that. Almost no other contemporary democracies handle their elections the way we do. Yep. We do it piecemeal, state by state, locality by locality. There is no question about whether or not the states have the right (laughs) to make these decisions, especially around ballot access, the most basic thing. And so... There's nothing in there that says that Congress has to pass legislation that makes it quote unquote self-executing, right? The moment the 14th Amendment got ratified and uh, and, and someone is found to have satisfied that threshold, bam, we're done. Could I also like, I know this is maybe not here or there, but like the states that are banning him from the ballot are unlikely to be won by Trump in the first place. Like, I guess my, my, my like sort of tertiary level of questions is like, what the fuck is the Trump campaign worried about Colorado and Massachusetts? You know, I think the larger question is that within the ruling, and this is where it goes to the next one. The next major question is, was January 6th, 2021 an insurrection? And if so, did Trump engage in it? And that is a core component of the legal question being posed before the Supreme Court. Yeah. Now, the Trump team clearly wants that to be answered no. no. Yep. Right. Either portion being answered no is sufficient for them, right? Yeah. Either that January 6th wasn't an insurrection or that it was, but Trump didn't engage in it because he wasn't personally on the Capitol grounds. <laughs> I mean, except for the fact that he was and except for the fact, I mean, this is like, this is one of those things where like the legislation is so far behind, like our sort of modern standards of communication that like, I, I think you actually would have a difficult time saying that like a Twitter account is the same thing as... I don't know, an executive order or some kind of like declaration of support or something. But like Trump pumped up January 6th on his Twitter account for months leading up to the event. I mean, like, mm-hmm. listen, King Ratfucker, King, okay, two King Ratfuckers, Roger Stone and Steve Bannon are two of the largest and most powerful movers and shakers behind this. They know exactly what the fuck they're doing. They are king rat fuckers. They are the kings of all the people who fuck rats. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and this... Uh, oh, I, I know why this makes me so angry. Because mm. this is the adult version of the kid in the class who tortured the girls, right? But like, mm-hmm. you know, did the... I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Like... 
never knew enough about being a little tiny micro rat fucker that they know how to keep from actually violating laws that absolutely would get them in trouble. So instead, they drive you fucking crazy by not actually violating the the rule or the law. And then when it actually comes down to adjudicate the law, number one, these little shits, just like Trump and just like Roger Stone, and just like Steve Bannon will argue you until you die of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, they're right. They have never committed a crime that is objectively crossing of like a, a very hard line. Do you know what I mean? On the upside, Trump is real dumb. <laughs> so he did not maintain, I think, sufficient distance. Yeah. You know, that there were enough things he actually did on the day. Right. That he did. Include- I mean, he he was down there. Like, you know, we talk yeah. about like he wasn't there. Like, yes, he wasn't leading. Like, he didn't have like a pine pitch torch walking into the Capitol building. But like he went down there like. And yes, is it because he has like a bottomless black sucking abyss that like can never be filled with all the adoration he thinks he deserves? 100 percent. But like his presence down there should be seen as like exactly. an inciting. You know what I mean? Precisely. That, like, he didn't need to enter the Capitol if he's the one who whipped up the mob to go into the Capitol. Furthermore, he, as president, had the responsibility, once the Capitol was breached, to deploy additional police, to deploy the National Guard, additional assets. And, in fact, members of his uh, cabinet and, uh, and of his administration were begging him to do so. And we get the great quotes that, you know, they were, you know, people were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Yep. And... Mike Pence was just like, hey, like, you need to stop this. And he's like, maybe they just care more about the election than you, Mike. And he didn't do anything. He withheld the uh, support and the help because only he could do it. Yep. Officially. Eventually it got deployed anyway. But note that if you're in a position of authority and that's your responsibility, it is see- you are engaging in insurrection by not deploying those things to stop the insurrection. I'm sorry. Like if there's a fire burning down someone's house and you're the fire chief and you refuse to deploy the fire trucks, you should be seen as having aided and abetting in burning the house down. Like, like I love this metaphor because uh, for obvious reasons and, but you know, it's, it would be more like, Someone made fun of the fire chief for being the fire chief. And so they're like, oh, he's just chasing fires all day. And that person's house caught on fire. And the fire chief said, oh, seems like you really need a firefighter, don't you? It's not so funny anymore. And it's like, my house is burning down. Like, this is not the time to, like, do personal grievances and grudges. But, like, that, I mean, I think that's a perfect metaphor also because those people absolutely do exist on the fire department. (laughs) So I think that, you know, Trump's argument is that at the time of the 14th Amendment, note that they're going back to originalism. Great. Right. Uh, That the insurrection meant the taking up of arms and waging war uh, upon the United States. Oh, I would never do that. That's it's going to be all dirty and filthy and bloody. I would never I would never get out there with a with a gun. That's, you know, I mean, uh, to borrow a phrase from JC, uh, you know the type. Loud as a motorbike, but wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so the definition generally used 
in the law for insurrection is that it's a violent uprising against a government or some authority, in this case, a government, right? So the big question here is whether or not this was violent. It's clearly an uprising. (laughs) But the question was, right, was January 6th violent? Note that not that it's a war. There you go. Right. Note that you don't need to wage war definitionally. You just need to have a violent uprising. So a war definitionally requires two nation states declaring war against each other. Right. Formal declarations of war. You can still have an insurrection or a rebellion that they're often used sort of interchangeably because like the whiskey rebellion properly understood wasn't an insurrection or a rebellion. They were not a nation state. Yep. But George Washington still fucking, you know, brought up a militia and forcefully crushed them and killed people. (laughs) Can I I be honest about what a terrible person I am? Just because when you said, like, was it violent? I'm like, yeah, it was. But it's very Trump-esque that a lot of the Trumpers who died had heart attacks on the steps and just died. (laughs) Like... The violence they did to themselves in the form of a raised heart rate, which it doesn't seem like happens very often to this particular crowd. (laughs) So you want to do some deep history here? Love it. Uh, Take me there. Okay. So the 14th Amendment doesn't formally define insurrection, but we do have the Insurrection Act. Right. Which is what justifies the use of uh, force, specifically like the National Guard and other such things or the U.S. military against domestic uh, domestic opponents. So it essentially got defined by usage. Okay. so uh, remember the Nat Turner Rebellion. Yes. Yeah. So we had a lot of history coming out of the slave out of the slave states. Um, They weren't just you know, going after an individual in the Nat Turner rebellion. They were trying to forcefully uh, overthrow the entire regime of slavery uh, and they, they failed. Yeah. But I'm saying that like, it wasn't an individual or personalized grievance. Yes. Right. It was, we are going to overthrow uh, this entire system. Uh, Then we had the violence over Kansas about whether it would become a free or slave state. Got it. Again, try if you know the the pro people wanted to overthrow uh, the anti-slavery people. The anti-slavery people wanted to overthrow the pro-slavery people. Right? Clear political uh, motivation, wanting to explicitly install or overthrow a government. We had the desegregation of public schools. Yes. In yes. Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi. Yes. Famously, why would that why would preventing the implementation of uh, Brown v. Board. Why is that an act of rebellion or insurrection? Well, because it's a, it's a, uh, Brown v. Uh, Board is SCOTUS, right? I mean, it's yeah. a, it's, mm-hmm. we're, you know, the SCOTUS rules on the Constitution, thus making this a, a, a officially like a decree of the Constitution itself. Now you're defying the Constitution. Yep. And by doing so, you are threatening the federal government's power to yep. enact That's its right. laws. So president comes in, sends in the National Guard to, with the threat of force, desegregate the schools. Yep. Right. So we then saw in some other cases, for example, the white majority saw civil rights protesters in Selma, Alabama and Montgomery 
as threatening Jim Crow, right? Uh, and they deployed the National Guard. That was a justification that they weren't just petitioning for civil rights, but the overthrow of the current legal regime in its totality, right? And again, here we're back to our old friends at the John Birch Society who have, again, successfully branded anything resembling equality or a robust uh, social safety net as communism. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> carry on. No, it's it's great. Like, so, but a lot of this gets used against black Americans. Yep. Right? From Nat Turner to civil rights era and then on behalf of black Americans yep. uh, in the wake of Brown v. Board. So... What's interesting about this is that this is now a shift in the usage of the Insurrection Act against white, predominantly white Americans. Oh, no. (laughs) But we still have some history here we can go off of. So my my famous or most infamous uh, U.S. president, Ulysses S. Grant. Fuck yeah. One of it's a, sorry, a distant relative of mine. Go ahead. Oh, oh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh. What was Ulysses S. Grant's job before he became president? Uh, he was a general, and he was also, like, a, a raging alcoholic. And um, the reason that he was brought in as part of the Union Army was, like, he was seen as, like, the toughest guy to take on the hardest job, which is, like, exactly. immediate post-Reconstruction, right? Yeah, I mean, he was, he fought Lee. He was yeah. the head of the Union armies at, toward the end of the... Uh, civil war yeah and so he spent a good the first part of his career as you said you know killing a bunch of confederates <laughs> killing a bunch of insurrectionists when he became president he invoked the insurrection act in 1871 against the klu klux klan awesome <laughs> that was in south carolina <laughs> because the klan members were trying to take away the rights of black Americans in South Carolina through the usage of violence. Yeah. And he successfully invoked the Insurrection Act to bring the military there to crush them. That's right. It was seen as an act of insurrection, of de- of defying the federal uh, federal law around civil rights. Yeah. So that, I think, is the best way to think about this, right? This is actually the most the clearest i think parallel because it's one of the only uses of the insurrection act against white americans um so that and for example you know the uh, desegregation of schools so we can see that within this history right and i know that we went we went deep we went (laughs) in the wayback machine right that this is insurrection in the history and tradition of American insurrection yeah. um, because it deployed the use of violence to try to overthrow yeah. uh, a duly elected government, defy, in this case, federal policy. And in this case, it has the added racial component, which has historical parallels of yeah. a predominantly white majority attempting insurrection yeah. to strip political power from their enemies, many of whom are, in this case, like Biden supporters, are people of color. Um, And that can be understood within the context of uh, the Ku Klux Klan and the segregationists uh, in American history. And you can see why white conservatives might resist that label. (laughs) Because it does not give them great bedfellows. 
we're not one of those. In fact, you're the most one of those. So I'm just saying, you might not want them as your bedfellows, but we did not make this bed for you. I was going to say, like, listen, um, we're not the ones foaming at the mouth at school board meetings because we're so angry that kids might learn true history about American racism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, this is a more interesting question, right? It requires a little bit more. It's not as obvious. Let's get to one that's also obvious. Um, to one that is obvious. Uh, can Trump seek office even if he's disqualified since Congress can remove any disqualification? Because the only way out of this is that Congress can re- can allow you to run for the office with a two-thirds vote. Uh, well, good fucking luck getting a two-thirds vote in Congress for the last 20 years, first of all. Uh, secondly, like, I actually do have a question about this, which is as a write-in candidate. So let's say you get you do get um, banned from the ballot. Nope. 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 They, they don't count. count the votes for you. No, <laughs> votes don't count. Okay. That is exactly what I wanted to know. That's yep. that's exactly what I wanted to know. There's no one weird trick. <laughs> there is one trick. And that is that Congress in a two-thirds vote to give you your ability. That's it. That's it. So the question here is, could he be on the ballot anyway? Seek reinstatement. I think the answer here is obvious. The answer is he has the order backwards. He needs to seek reinstatement and then he can put on the ballot, not the other way around. Because if he was deemed by the courts to be engaging in insurrection, then he's not allowed on the ballot. He can't, they can't count uh, count the write-in votes. It's like, do not pass go. Right? You need to remove that disability, right? It, and I think of it the same way as any other disability. So, for example, I uh, w- if you're 25 years old, you can't run for president. Yeah. There is a remedy. Become 35. That's simple. Wait. Just wait. Just wait. And in this case, there is a remedy. Get Congress to give to do a two-thirds vote. Continue to try to do so. There's no time limit. Until as long you, as you're alive, you can try to do it. I was going to say, I, the only better thing for me than him spending his last days in prison is dumping millions and millions and millions of his dollars, his followers' dollars, into a completely pointless legal fight until he literally dies, like, in the, I don't know, halls of Congress. <laughs> and, like, this is, the, to me, the remedy is clear. You know, uh, for there are some disabilities that you just can't get rid of. Like I wasn't born in the United States. I can't run for president. There's oh, no remedy for that. Huh? Right. It's just is. It just That's... is what it is. Also, I mean, we're literally missing out on some of our best people for the job. I'm just saying. But yeah. like, you know, whatever. I'm like, the thing is that like in that case, like there's no there's no remedy. But he has a clear path. Yeah. If he wants to be on the ballot get congress to do it like fair unfair kind of irrelevant truly this is another thing about like my least favorite thing about this group of people right which like we all go through a phase of like well that's not fair like you know like there's like you kind of have this existential moment when you're like gaining your sort of adult awareness of the world where you're just like that's fucked up like that's not fair and then you learn why it's not fair and who set it up to be unfair. And like, here's how you change things are unfair. And you're like, shit, okay, okay, got it. 
this exact same conversation you have with these Trump fucking assholes. And I mean, Trump fans, Trump officials, Trump himself. And it's like, well, it's not fair, though. So that's not fair. And it's like, no, no, it's actually totally fair. And it's like, but I don't get what I want. And it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, that's this is it. This is everything is you not getting what you want very easily is we we all we all fight against these terrible unfair tides but like he can't the rolling stones wrote a whole song about it <laughs> like <laughs> he just it's like he can't wrap his head around the concept of him not immediately getting what he wants like a diet coke on a platter after he presses a button on his desk it, precisely and like just because you don't like the outcome <laughs> doesn't mean that the process is wrong yeah like or rigged or unfair it's painful bro i get it it's painful it's painful to go into that biology test and think you're gonna get 100 because you studied so hard and you get like a 78 and you're like well that doesn't at all comport with how long i studied well you studied the wrong shit and you were wrong put down the wrong answers man i don't know what to tell you it's like the same way like let's say you 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 practice real fucking hard uh (laughs) at an instrument and then you meet a friend who doesn't work nearly as hard, but plays way better than you do. <laughs> yeah. That's just how it is. Damn, that is truly like the creative struggle. It's just like, it's okay. You can still do it. Like, it doesn't even matter that he's been only playing this thing for a year. and You've been trying really hard for five years. You have to keep going because that is yeah. the point. This is the artistic struggle. <laughs> I mean, I talked to a kid the other day and his dream is to play in the NBA. Uh-huh. And... Um, based on <laughs> knowing everyone in his family, he probably won't be taller than five foot six. <laughs> Listen, what was his name? Oh, Bugsy that little, Bogues. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Little baby, sweet baby. But you know, the reason that everybody remembers his name is it was like, well, that was statistically unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Like literally. So Muggsy Bogues is five foot three. Yeah, that's right. Ever. That's yeah. right little guy Um, yeah but i think as you point out the reason we all know him (laughs) is that he's the exception that proves the rule we we all said holy shit how'd that guy get in there yeah so yeah sometimes life's not fair that's just the way it is in this case life would be very fair (sighs) you do the insurrection you don't get to be president that's the way it is pretty straightforward so the last question is maybe the hardest to like pin down. Um, it's the, pol- it's an application of the political questions doctrine, or basically is ballot access a political question that cannot be resolved by the courts. Hmm. So you might be asking yourself, what is a political question? I am asking myself that yes. very good. Um, I have good news and bad news for you. <laughs> My favorite start to a math to a math answer. The good news is the Supreme Court has written about this. Great. The bad news is it's not very clear what they actually Fuck! mean. Fuck! Not yeah. again! Not again! <laughs> so theoretically, it's about like balancing the power of the different branches of government between the judicial branch and the political branches, okay. right? The executive and the legi- and uh, the legislative branches. It's supposed to be applied only, right, in the most clear of cases where it's very obviously a political question that can't be resolved by the courts. 
So in Baker v. Carr, landmark case in 62, it said federal courses should not hear cases that deal with issues that the Constitution makes the responsibility of the federal or executive. Okay. What are those responsibilities? Thank you. The court gives us six factors. Okay. 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 It does not tell us how to balance them okay. against each other. <laughs> it just says these are the six things you need to think about. <laughs> so a texture oh, for one, a textually demonstrable constitutional commitment of the issue to a coordinate political department. Oh my. Okay. Okay. Two, a lack of judicially discoverable and manageable standards for resolving it. Three, the impossibility of deciding without an initial policy determination of a kind clearly for non-judicial discretion. Four, the impossibility of a court's undertaking independent resolution without expressing lack of respect due coordinate branches of the government. Oh Oh my God. Five, an unusual need or unquestioning adherence to a political decision already made, or six, the potentiality of embarrassment from multifarious pronouncements by various departments on none, on one question. Oh my God. So the court has to find that at least one of these directly applies to the case before the court can dismiss a case as a political question. Mm. Um, so one of the earliest examples was in 1918, note before CARB, they were still using it. Uh, it said that the conduct of foreign relations is the sole responsi- responsibility of the executive branch. So, for example, the Supreme Court could not overrule uh, a foreign policy decision by the executive. Yeah. Like if the, the foreign, if the executive is like, you know what, we're going to war with Spain, yeah. the Supreme Court's not going to intervene in that because that is note explicitly in the constitution given to the executive. Yeah. So that's how clear it's supposed to be. I, mm, when you were reading those questions out loud, it, all I can think of is like me looking into a black box at a black box that's closed. I'm like, is there a dog in there? And they're like, it has four legs and it's very hairy and has a wet yes. nose. And I'm like, that, okay, that is some of the things that a dog is, definitely. Like, uh, does it bark or does it meow? It certainly makes vocalizations. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the big question here, I think, is this is a question that has in Colorado, for example, was made by um, uh, the state Supreme Court. But that wasn't the case elsewhere. That there, uh, Trump's been barred from another state where the, the state constitution actually prescribes a process to challenge ballot access. Okay. And it wasn't the state Supreme Court. It was actually the attorney, the attorney general acting in a judicial role as prescribed by the state constitution okay. to make the factual determination. So there are different processes in different places on determining uh, ballot access or eligibility. Hmm. So one way the Supreme Court could theoretically punt on this and say nothing, basically, and allow chaos to reign uh-huh. is by saying, 
this is actually is leaning on the Tenth Amendment and saying that all of these things are issues of state law that okay. each state must determine whether or not Trump indiv- did an insurrection. Yep. Right. And one way they could say that is that like because of and I think this would be coherent that because of the traditions of the United States, these sorts of decisions about ballot access have always been handled by state governments and by state courts. Therefore, the federal courts cannot intervene or make a decision, which would then force this to be litigated in 50 states. (laughs) I'm I'm ready. Let's see it. Bring them out. Which is, which honestly, (laughs) I would be fine with. Yeah. Because then at least there would be some process. Yeah. And both, both sides would get due process state by state. Yeah. Um, however, note, there's one way the Supreme Court could apply this. They could say that no court can make a decision about ballot access or insurrection, calling that determination an inherently political one. So it would have to be taken over by state legislatures? Is that what we're... Maybe that would say that the state legislatures would then have to pass acts barring him okay, or create some process. But note that that would de facto make it impossible. Yep. Right? Um, because then they would have to do this whole thing and it would be moot by the time yep. uh, the entire process went through. That's one of my worries. I think that's a terrible miss. That's a terrible application of the political questions doctrine. Yeah. But note how wiggly the political doctrines question is right is there a lack of a judicially discoverable and manageable standard well we went through the history of insurrection it appears like there might be a way to find a judicial standard does it fall within the history of the application of the insurrection act and the term insurrection through american history like there is a actually an originalist way of developing uh uh, 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 a discoverable, a judicially discoverable and manageable standard. Now, is would they have to make an initial policy determination? No, they wouldn't have to say, okay, this is the answer. He's allowed or not allowed, right? They could instead articulate the standard for insurrection yep. and then apply it. Right. So there's not you can actually develop the standard without making a policy determination ahead of time. Is there an unusual need or an unquestioning adherence to a political decision already made? I'm not sure this is applicable. Or at least it wouldn't cut in their direction. Yep. Because the decisions already made are excluding him from the ballot yep. in some places and including him in others. Yep. There's not like one obvious uh, decision that's been made. It's not like all the all, all the state governments have agreed or disagreed to allow him uh, ballot access, right? Um, is there uh, an impossibility of the court undertaking independent resolution without expressing lack of respect Due to coordinate branches of government. I That one is the one that's really tripping me up. That doesn't make any sense here because neither the executive branch, the president, which would be Biden, or the current Congress have passed any policy yeah. or any law on this question. Yeah. 
So how can you disrespect their decisions if they simply haven't weighed in? This is all being handled at the state level, right? Actually, an expression of disrespect would be to remove this determination from their hands and override their determinations. And I don't think any state, if they're like, yes, you can remove someone who did this for insurrection, I don't think that would be a lack of respect. It would be articulating a standard then the state would then make a determination under its own constitution. And the last is there the potentiality of embarrassment from multifarious pronouncements by various departments on one question. Meaning, could this then lead to a situation where the legislature, the legislative branch, Congress, and the executive and the Supreme Court are all saying different things? Yep. Yep. All trying to act in different ways. Again, I don't see the issue for that here uh, because Congress has the ability in a two-thirds vote by choosing not to remove the disability. It's spoken. The president has no role in this constitutionally whatsoever and has not weighed in at all. So again, I don't see an obvious application of any of these factors, but again, they're so squiggly. They're so like jello. Like, I don't know. This is a harder one for me to answer straight up because the court does not has just simply has not articulated a great standard. And I, I also like, you know, we, you and me and everyone like us likes to think that the government is not full of pilled as fuck Trumpy people. Uh, the former, um, oh my gosh, I think it's it was a county elections person. I think it was the head of the county elections in Arizona. I don't remember which county, but <clears throat> she's so fucking pilled. She's currently um, under a federal investigation because she removed... She gave um, an <clears throat> unqualified login, like a like a secure voting systems login to a person, just like a person that is in a fucking Facebook group that she was. She stole a bunch of the um, voting logs and then gave them to literally Mike Lindell. There are so many pilled people throughout the U.S. government who would happily 100% commit crimes, like big, fat, juicy federal crimes, because they believe in like... You guys, you guys, Matt knows this, but you guys, these are everyday working people who look at the son of a billionaire New York City real estate mogul who wears a girdle and makeup and lives in a penthouse with gilded ceilings. They think that man is literally chosen by God to be the godly on his third wife ruler of the United States. These people are fucked in the head and they will do wild things because once you're at once you're at God picked Trump to be the holy savior of the United States like ain't nothing you won't believe. You know what I mean? And this is what I worry about is that to me this is not hmm, how to put this. This does not appear to be a particularly difficult decision for the court to make. Right. That I don't think the arguments are strong enough here um, to override very excellent and well-researched decisions uh, by state courts in an area of law that they have traditionally had free reign over, which is elections. Especially 
when the stakes are so high and the court's involvement, the the SCOTUS's involvement would be effectively changing the entire shape of American democracy. Yep, there you go. Um, in the worst way because it would essentially invalidate the Insurrection Act. Yep. Because if we can't bar someone from ballot access here, there's essentially nothing. There's no situation in which we could ever bar someone from ballot access. Yeah, and we'll end up with a bunch of situations like we did with <clears throat> Marjorie Taylor Greene's freshman election where the guy who was running against her got so many fucking death threats that he ended up having to, he got divorced. He was already going through a fucking divorce because his wife was like, this is crazy. These people are crazy. And he's like, I know I have to do this to keep a crazy person out of Congress lost anyway, lost fucking everything because he was intimidated out of continuing his uh, seeking election. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not arguing here that the Supreme court has to say Trump has to be barred from the ballot. Yeah. I, I am saying that I think that the bare minimum of the history of the legal arguments, um, and we do have rich history here, and I think this is a great place to apply uh, uh, history here to understand yeah. who, the insur- uh, who the insurrection clause applies to, what insurrection is, and what it was trying to prevent. Um, because we have all of that, we have a really great idea of exactly what the 14th Amendment Insurrection Clause is supposed to mean and who it's supposed to apply to. Yeah. And it's a very clear, straight line. Yeah. And all the Supreme Court has to do in this case is simply say it's perfectly fine for states in their handling their own elections, as they have done, to determine who or is eligible within their state elections um, for ballot access. They don't have to do anything more than that, that they can lean on history and tradition in the United States and not say Trump has to be on or Trump has to be off, merely say this is the domain of state courts as it has been and let them make this determination um, and let, I mean, 10th Amendment, let federalism, let, you know, the laboratories of democracy cook. It seems like actually, to me, an extremely originalist and judicially modest yep. uh, way of approaching it. That it's not making sweeping pronouncements. It's not seizing power. It's, in fact, declaring the Supreme Court doesn't get to answer all of these questions for us. Unfortunately, we're just in a crazy-pilled time where crazy-pilled people run a lot of our government and... I mean, I, I hope that once um, this whole Harlan Crow situation came out about Justice Thomas and they, he was like, no, it's fine. And everyone on the right was like, it's fine. Like, that should have been a signaler to all of us about, like, how partisanship is going to work in this particular version of SCOTUS, you know? Yeah. And, like, people, there's the slippery slope argument that if blue states start removing Trump from the ballot <laughs> – then why won't red states remove Joe Biden from the ballot? Well, he didn't participate in an insurrection, and they could try. I don't think that he, I don't, I, let's say they do it. Yeah. Right. The only states that are going to do it are states that are so heavily red. Yep. That there's essentially no election there. Yep. Anyway. Yep, that's correct. And like, and let's be honest, like the fact that Democrats or that you know, blue states don't remove Trump 
is not going to deter red states from doing from removing Biden if they want to. It's not as if here we have found that, for example, trying to moderate on policy has led to red states moderating. I'm sorry, that's just not this is not a symmetrical situation. Thank you. So I don't see there are a lot of, I think, people who are like reflexive centrists. Who want to say, like, who want to claim, like, there'll be some sort of blowback or whatever. And I'm just like, (laughs) how much more blowback do you need than the Trump years? (laughs) Like, like, we have politicians in Congress fantasizing into microphones about murdering their political enemies. Like, I, I mean, what's beyond that? Them just doing it? Like, because... We should have gotten off this particular train at the point where they're like, you know, I have a nine millimeter with a congressman so-and-so's name on it. Like, what the fuck? I mean, I can see them like, it's hilarious to me because I can see people being like, you shouldn't protest or else maybe they'll do an insurrection. (laughs) And I'm like, well, they already did a fucking insurrection. Like, I don't know what more you want for you to recognize that they're just going to do the crazy shit they're going to (sighs) do. And us disarming ahead of time, us, like, trying to give them snacks is not going to make make them stop. I'm, I am perennially shocked, disgusted, but also bemused in that kind of way where, like, someone thinks they're going to, like, again, sandbag against a tsunami where the wave is going to be 90 feet tall. You know what I mean? Like... Well, we'll put up our sandbags and we're just going to do our normal stuff that we do for flood preparedness. Like, bitch, this ain't no standard flood. This isn't like this isn't a river overtopping its levees. You know what I mean? Like um, sometimes reflexive centrism is such a good term for that because the amount of conversations. And I say this as somebody who used to be a reflexive centrist until really smart like uh, political scientists, actual academics were like, here's a reason why that's not really a thing, right? Like whenever the Overton window shifts, right? Like you as a reflexive centrist move with it, right? So when you don't have your political ideology grounded in like some like firm, you know, stationary grounded beliefs, like you end up just kind of moving around. And now a centrist quote unquote is uh, like Republican is like a Reagan Republican, you know, like, yeah, this this uh, infectious belief that like the government is bad at doing everything and managing everything so we should just like not even try to fix it we should just leave it in the dustbin of history cool yeah and then it also reminds me a little bit of like the appeasers you know in the run up to world war 2 <laughs> oh i'm like they're like we shouldn't bulk up our militaries that's going to provoke germany <laughs> Oh, we can just give them the Sudetenland. Like, if we just give him a little something, then he's going to stop. And if just, we oppose him, that's just going to make him mad. Like, calm down. I mean, in the yeah. same way that, like, the same way... Okay, so, you know, one of the f- comparisons made to Nazi Germany, although we, you know, like, I know that it's just, like, all played out or whatever, but the reason that Nazism caught on in Germany is because the Deutschmark had lost so much value. Like, the the calamitous devaluing and, and um, I mean, this is after world war two or world war one, like by the time that Hitler starts like getting people saying like, sounds pretty good. You know, my British history teacher 
um, who's from Liverpool, was telling us that, like, these are people who are taking sacks, like grocery sacks of money to go get, like, a loaf of bread. And, you know, I mean, this is we we as Americans who were not alive during the Great Depression cannot fathom the kind of like sudden calamitous drop in economic stability that creates a or helps to fuel, I should say, a Nazi Germany. But then you people like you and I should remember that, like what rural poverty is like, like, mm-hmm. I think people like us who think like, oh, it's not that bad. We probably live in a city where poverty is really different and people live a lot closer together and people can depend on each other a lot more. Yeah. Um, but these rural red states where rural poverty exists, rural poverty is a whole different animal. And, you know, we should do like a five part series about rural poverty sometime because like truly, if you've been a city dweller your entire life, you have no contact with it. We're yeah. talking about people squatting in abandoned trailers. Like we're talking about people collecting rainwater squatting in an abandoned trailer because it's not hooked up to water or uh, city plumbing or anything. Um, And I think if you're bearing the weight of rural poverty in one of these states where someone where you haven't sought out a lot of education because there aren't a lot of opportunities, which, um, you know, atrophies your kind of like uh, shades of gray, nuanced thinking, right? And then all of a sudden, after you've just like slugged it out every day, just trying to survive, like in the same way that like you see, you know, these tin roof um, shanty towns in like South Africa, like there the the daily decisions of survival are not that separate from a person squatting in an abandoned trailer and a person living in a you know tin roof shack built of uh, landfill findings. Like mm-hmm. these are closer than they are separate, right? Like yeah. and. That's exactly the kind of desperation and lack of resources that drive a person towards it's, you know, it's the Jews, it's the Mexicans, it's the Muslims, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? And they're not going to care <laughs> yeah. that, like, that, like, uh, Democrats in a couple states, like, moderated their rhetoric or, like, you know, filing <laughs> behavior into some court cases they've never heard about. I'm just like, it doesn't, that's not the solution to that kind of anger there i mean like i just want to be really clear that like i think this is like the idea of appeasement is always that there is a solution that requires other people to sacrifice something Mm. right that you can give away the sudetenland because you don't live in the sudetenland perfect yep right you can like you can sort of like downplay uh the extermination of of the roma or uh of the jews because you're not roma or jewish there you go you can give away other people's rights and futures and hopes um because they don't matter to you yep um it's your sacrifice is what i'm willing to make (laughs) um and so i think to some degree that like there are real costs to solving rural poverty. Yep. There are real costs to creating a more equitable um, uh, economic system yep. to alleviate that kind of desperation that like the so-called progressive liberals, uh, uh, coastal elites of which I am one <laughs> just generally by and large are not willing to make. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I think it is totally coherent to say 
we need to both prevent Trump from rising to power, but then also work within our communities, uh, our liberal communities, to fight for policies that would alleviate the conditions that made people turn to a figure like Trump. Yes, well said. That it is that is a coherent position. Yep. Uh, what I think is incoherent is the position of I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want Trump to be in office, but I won't do anything to resolve the conditions that create him. Nor will I do what's necessary to fight him. Yep. This is this is like. Um, <laughs> It, it reminds me of people who get frustrated of uh, medical care providers who get frustrated at their um, pretty low education um, um, patients, right? Where it's just like, well, like they eat like shit and no, nothing that I tell them changes. You know, they won't go to Whole Foods and buy $100 of organic fruits and veggies. So, like, I'm just going to give up on this. Like, this person's pointless. This is a waste of my time, right? Like, says the upper income, you know, born to privilege, like person who is in a very powerful position providing care, right? Like, I just find that attitude frustratingly so often among our friends, like people who we know, and like people who, like, my partner is in is a is a first responder, like my sister is a doctor, my brother in law is a doctor, my dad's a surgeon, my mom's a nurse, like, the thing they talk about their jobs is like the days that it's really hard to give polite patient care to someone who sucks ass and they're rude to you and they call you names. And if you're a woman, they call you toots, you know, they tell you you have a nice ass or whatever. Like, you know, going into those jobs that you're going to have to deal with this person and you will have to find the strength in yourself to give them the same quality of care as a person who's kind, polite, not racist, not a sexist piece of shit. And I guess I would say, if you're struggling with this idea, like, why would I help someone hateful? It's like, you know, people help hateful people all the time because it's like your human duty to like help them get better, survive, at least get to the hospital with a heartbeat, whatever it is. Right. Like, um, I would just, if it, if you need to take it on in that spirit to make it more palatable, please do so. Because like, we cannot, we cannot continue to apply urban poverty logic to rural poverty not get an effective reaction or response or not get a lot of buy-in and then immediately give up first try, you know? We also can't uh, think that, that, you know, that other people pay as much attention to the intricacies of like legal and man- political maneuverings yep. as we do. Very, very, very few people do. If you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, you are weird. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> We are weird. You are weird. It's fine. We can be weirdos together. But like we are obsessed about this stuff in a way that other people aren't. And that's okay. But like recognize that like making some subtle nuance change to like your legal draft or your briefing or like messaging, it just doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter to the people that you that you say like, but what if Trump supporters do this thing in response? Like they're not paying attention. <laughs> they're not paying attention the way that you and I are paying attention, yeah. right? Like no one on the Trump side is sitting around with their best friend on a porch having an argument about uh, originalism. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, yeah, like, and like <laughs> Joe Biden is not a corrupt president. Yeah. But Republicans and conservatives by and large believe he's, and I hear this all the time, that he's the most corrupt president in American history. Communist. 
Everybody knows. And, like, it doesn't matter what the facts are. Because <laughs> it's not about the facts. No. I mean... It's about the feeling. Yeah. Which is... Right? And then the feelings can form... Then the, the facts then can form... That's right. ...to justify the feeling. That's right. Nothing... I, I, I hate being alive now. Don't get me wrong. Like, what a fucking horrible, goddamn stupid timeline. But occasionally, little glimmers of the, like, picture-perfect, like, atomically perfect crystalline structure of uh, right-wing facts don't care about your feelings people, like, really, really trying so hard to, like, heat up facts until they're red hot and they can be hammered into shape. Like, the Moms of Liberty... Having a whole goddamn meeting to try to get a book about seahorses taken out of schools. Because seahorses, factually and biologically, the male carries the babies. And the male births the babies. This is how seahorses been doing. As long as seahorses been seahorsing. And nothing kills me quite like... Uh, this is teaching children about transgenderism. Bros. Bros. So, like, I do not generally struggle with wanting to promote policies that help everybody. <laughs> I don't. I know a lot of people do. Um, but I just want to make really, really clear is that like these people, no one is ever going to thank you. <laughs> no one's ever going to be like, thank you so much for, 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 you know, like changing the law. Like when the affordable care act uh, got passed, no one's reaching out to like write to Obama who used to oppose him. They're not like hugging him. No, they're just like F that N word, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, F- like death panels, whatever. Yeah. F that N word. But, but, um, but also um, I got my cancer treated um, yeah. and I, I'm going to be in big trouble if you guys take that away. So um, don't tell anyone I said this, but but please don't yeah. put it down. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the thing. They're never going to thank you. They're probably not even going to vote for you. Yeah. But that's not why you do it. Yep. And like, I want to be clear that like we went through the minutia today because it's important. Yep. Because it's important that when the Supreme Court is probably <laughs> going to just like take a hot steaming dump on all of our chests and just tell us to suck it um, that we react with the appropriate amount of outrage yep. um, because that stuff does like mass action does break through. Yep. And it's not about changing the Trump voters minds. It's about galvanizing people who seem to think, Oh, both sides um, into recognizing that it, that it, it is not in fact uh, a symmetrical situation, yep. but like it doesn't mean that in terms of policy, you give up on the people who are never going to love you. Yep. Um, unfortunately and this is like my least favorite part about being a leftist and a socialist is like no matter what those fucking people call me or accuse me of i still want them to have a stable and happy and like uh the ability to like get their tooth pulled when it's rotten and hurts like a motherfucker like no one should be in their garage with a pair of pliers and a flashlight you know like we should all be able to have some baseline of dignity in our lives and no matter how much you motherfuckers try to take away my dignity i don't want to take away yours yeah and sometimes you just got to show people 
you got to show people grace and kindness, even when they don't show it to you. Like that's just the way it is. And like, I'm happy, you know, in 2024 that we don't live in a timeline where there is no election that we're just stuck with God emperor Trump forever. (laughs) Cause 2020 went real bad. Right, there is a worse timeline. I just want to note this. Thank you. Uh, we deviated out of the worst possible timeline uh, in 2020. Um, but like, needed that. Yeah, both with the election and with January 6th failing. Yeah, like we dodged some bullets there. And like, I met a, a, a couple new friends, and they moved from to the United States in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I am so sorry. You missed all the good parts. You missed- single good part you missed every part you didn't even get it on the tail end damn I know. but at the same time i'm i also remain hopeful that no matter what the supreme court does no matter what like we can still get to better times yep. like things have been i know that people are really gloomy right now but like things have been getting better under the biden presidency yep. um maybe not as fast as we all wanted maybe not perfectly maybe some things have gotten worse but like Things have generally been getting better and like we can keep doing that. Yep. And then hopefully one day uh, we won't have to, you know, believe that the Matrix was right in telling us that the 90s were the peak of human civilization. Because I refuse to believe that the that the decade that gave us Smash Mouth (laughs) was the pinnacle of human achievement. Also, were you guys like I was going to try to give you some, you know, sophisticated or nuanced argument But next time you hear somebody who's broadly on the left doing that brain dead fucking I want you to look them in the eyes and go bull fucking shit. I'm not even going to explain this to you because if you are so goddamn brain dead that you can still say those words after 2020 that everything's the same and the parties are no different. Like you should be institutionalized like we need to start being meaner about brain dead yeah. centrists and uh, uh, what what is non participants like you know mm-hmm. whatever we whatever you want to call them like we need to start being actively meaner to these people. That's my that's my twenty twenty four resolution. <laughs> They're gonna add that to our dues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, things. So on that more uplifting note. Um, one thing you can do to be kind to the people around you is to get some metal honey. Thank you. Uh, honeys, honeys, it do be dry out there this January and February. Um, but luckily we got a sale going on. So, um, I reformulated two products and I would love to tell you about them real quick. One is, um, uh, the first round of our general. So spicy, sweet and sour sauce. So it goes T A S O. Mm-hmm. So it goes. Uh, a little um, um, tribute to our beautiful Kurt Vonnegut here in Indianapolis. Um, it is thicker. It's sweeter. It's tangier. It's a little less spicy. It was a little too much at first. It's still mm. spicy. Old-fashioned scorpion sauce. We take the uh, hot peppers that we filter off of the scorpion honey. We blend it with distilled vinegar and sugar and oranges and Luxardo cherries and Angostura bitters and liquid smoke and a bunch of other tasty stuff. And it has a lot of the flavors of the old-fashioned cocktail just in a Southern-style hot sauce. So it is also thicker and tangier and just more amazing overall. It just It sits 
so beautifully in its in its perky little thick globes on top of food. Um, that and four ounce bottles of scorpion honey are all ten dollars all through the month of July or January. Beg your pardon. And quite frankly, this is when all the money dries up. So I could really use uh, some of your your friendly funds. <laughs> so uh, find all those at metalhoney.com. You'll see it's, there's no code or anything to remember. They're just marked down um, on the product. So go get them. Amazing. Go get those. And I have to say that now I am dreaming of various amazing dishes I can make with that old fashioned uh, uh, sauce because uh, I feel like there are many restaurants out there who would be like, you know, imagine having uh, uh, like a lovely, oh, now I'm thinking, now I'm thinking, there's this um, honey, rosemary, and lemon chicken I make oh. where. The key there is first you like, you know, you, 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 you take a little bit of olive oil, you take a little bit of honey and I could, I'm going to use the old fashioned on there and you brush the chicken oh. skin after salting and peppering it. And then you slide a small piece of lemon yep. underneath between the skin and the chicken. Beautiful. And then you put uh, about, you break like a little sprig of rosemary in half and you put a little underneath the skin yes. and a little bit on top. Yes. And you, you do that for each piece, and then you just roast it either on a grill or in your oven, um, and, uh, and they cook super fast, and the honey helps that skin caramelize. The lemon not only adds moisture, but also a little bit of acid to counterbalance the sweetness, and the rosemary adds a little bit of earthiness. And I have to say, oh. it is one of those dishes that feels fancy as fuck. It's easy as hell to do. I was actually taught by a chef. He said that this is what he made when he had no time but wanted to make yes. a fancy meal for his friends. And I have to say, it, it. I think that if I made that old-fashioned with the old-fashioned uh, uh, sauce on top, I think I'm going to win some admirers. Fuck yeah. DM me your girl's address in the city, and I will send it to her place. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you can find uh, you can find us as always on the platform formerly known as Twitter at Perp Stew. Uh, like, subscribe, share, uh, leave a rating and a comment if you like the show. If you don't, go fuck yourself. Um, seriously, but our show is awesome. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for us this week. This has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.